now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Championship Weekend Edition. I am Alex Shane, barely alive, but I am alive with Rich Hill. Rich, can you continue to live after games like we just saw with the Patriots and Chiefs on Sunday? Man, you know, for two straight playoff games, I've been so wrong. (laughs) I have been (laughs) so completely wrong with my expectation to reality that... I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever been so wrong with a game that when you're watching it and it's happening, it just it feels surreal? You know, it's like the Patriots marching out to such an early lead. I just felt like I was watching a movie instead of a game. And it just it was beautiful. And I had a weight off of my shoulder and I liked it. I liked it very much until Patrick Mahomes came back and kind of ruined it. So, no, I cannot do that, Alec. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I don't blame you. And as somebody who actually predicted Patriots 36, Chiefs 30, I'm right for the first time, like maybe all season, in how close I was in this one. So I will take the opportunity to gloat about this, even though I predict, picked the score almost to the point, Rich Hill. Uh, uh, I, may I jump I in and say that I almost did that? During the, with If you went back to two minutes left in the game, I was exactly perfect as well. Uh, oh. It's just that, you know, I counted out touchdown Tom. So that's a, yeah, well, that's a mistake on my part. Yeah, well, a lot of people did, man. And as well they should have based on some early season performances, mid-season performances. But, man, are the Patriots smoking hot right now. What a game. Maybe one of the better games of Tom Brady's entire career, of his legacy. So much to talk about with that game. But, Rich, before we talk about Patriots and Chiefs, they were the second game on the agenda on Championship Sunday. The first one was the Rams going to New Orleans to take on the Saints. They won 26-23, to the Rams did, in overtime on a somewhat controversial, I guess I'll say, call when a blatant helmet-to-helmet pass interference was not called. Saints settled for a field goal. Rams won it in overtime. Another great game, although it's a little bittersweet because, A, the Rams don't want to go to the Super Bowl like that, and it really hurts seeing Drew Brees deprive another one because he really deserved it. Yeah, I mean, that missed penalty was probably the worst call I saw all year. The worst non-call, I should say, because, I mean, he hit the receiver – you could do one Mississippi, two Mississippi before the ball got there, and he would just laid him out, didn't even look at the ball, didn't even try. Every single Rams player after the game was like, oh, yeah, that was a penalty. That was absolutely a penalty. The Saints called the office, and they're like, yep, that was a penalty. That's our bad. And to lose that way, to have your season end with nothing you can do, completely out of your control i cannot think of a more heartbreaking way for such a great season to end especially at home i can think of more heartbreaking ways for seasons to end rich but we won't talk about that right now <laughs> yeah i think in general, non-eli manning edition yeah. <laughs> it was a uh, i think overall it was a pretty poorly officiated weekend i don't like talking about the rest or blaming the rest because that's the lowest form of fan hate i think but there's a couple of missed calls in the Patriots-Chiefs game. There was a missed face mask on Jared Goff. 
I think there are overall some pretty lousy calls that, that should have been called or not called the other way. But the real difference to me between those calls and the, the non-PI, not only was it DPI, not only was it a helmet-to-helmet hit, it was so obvious and so egregious at such a crucial point in the game. Yeah, if I am the Saints, if I am a Saints fan, I'm going to be very, very long getting over this. And it really does break your heart because I was so excited for the possibility of a Drew Brees versus Tom Brady Super Bowl, and we, we may never see that now. Yeah, and that, that was our best chance of getting it. And, I mean, I'm not saying that the Saints played so much greater than the Rams did, not by any means. It was, like, very clearly and obviously evenly matched because it went to overtime. But this Rams team didn't look too great for much of the game, right? I mean, they, they had to, to storm back and, and tie it up again because the, the Saints ran out to a pretty early lead, right? They, they were up... I believe uh you know 13 to 0 yeah before yeah. the rams kicked their first field goal and it was just a game of you know how close can you get and i uh, i mean i when i'm watching this game and i'm like all right well the patriots took care of business against the chiefs i i think the rams and saints started off the season so hot they both seemed to falter and slow down at the end of the year including the postseason that I feel pretty confident about the Patriots playing or if they had to play either of these teams. Cause I, I just wasn't overly impressed with like how crisp they could have been. No, it's true. I mean, the Rams had under hundred yards rushing. They were at 77 yards total. Their leading rusher was CJ Anderson. Todd Gurley was an absolute ghost. He had four carries for 10 yards. The saints had 50 yards rushing 48. If you count two drew Brees a kneel down, they just couldn't move the ball well on the ground. The best receiver in the NFL this year, Thomas, had four catches for 36 yards. Brandon Cooks went off, but, you know, someone's got to do it, I suppose. I thought there wasn't really a, a dominant performance from either team on either side. There were some mistakes made by both sides. The vaunted Rams defensive line wasn't as, as impactful as they could be. Drew Brees threw a, a crucial pick at a bad moment. You know, it, there were plenty of opportunities for both teams to win and lose this game, and the Rams did it. Credit to them. Sean McVay is a wonderful story in the NFL. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this is a scenario where for so many weeks of the NFL season, Rich, the NFC was just superior in every possible way to the NFC. And the conversation was which team is going to have to go and get shellacked in Atlanta by whoever represents the AFC, the NFC, excuse me, the Rams or the Saints. I don't think that's a conversation right now because, yeah, I mean, neither of these teams are playing their best football. Yeah, and the Rams, they have such a balanced offense with a great running back in Gurley who, for whatever reason, didn't do well against the Saints. you got C.J. Anderson who, you know, for whatever reason, let go by the Panthers, let go by the Raiders, latched on with the Rams. He's always been so talented. you got Cooks and you got Woods at wide receiver Josh Reynolds is a good guy out of the slot Gerald Everett they have so much talent and for them to look very meh against the Saints defense which is fine by no stretch of the imagination are they great I just am shocked that this Rams team just didn't look as great as they could have been and yeah exactly what you said for so much of the season both of these teams the Rams and the Saints and the Chiefs those are the trio for much of the year and they just never seemed to put it together in Los Angeles. They still made it to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, this is like such a, a Patriots fan mentality. It's like, they never put it together. They're only in the Super Bowl. But I, I think it's true that, that they have been lesser than the sum of all of their parts because they've not necessarily mortgaged the future, but they did so much to acquire all the talent possible this year. 
And it feels like they're still leaving opportunities on the field. And I just hope that that happens for one more game. One more game is right. And the Patriots care about that game because they are in it. They beat the Chiefs 37-31 in overtime in one of the crazier, more memorable Patriots games I can think of in their entire Belichick-Brady era. Tom Brady, they were saying, needed a signature postseason road win. He got it on Sunday. But it really was a tale of maybe two halves or maybe a tale of two quarters and a third quarter and a fourth quarter and overtime. There were almost like three <laughs> three different games kind of went down in this game. The Patriots were so dominant for the first half, and then there was kind of a meh third quarter, and then the fourth quarter was just like 24 points, 14 points, and then overtime. Just a ridiculous finish start to start to finish. I don't know where to start here. I guess we start at the beginning, Rich. What happened in this game that made the Patriots so dominant so early, and how did the Chiefs adjust? I mean, yeah, so breaking down that first half, Patriots went touchdown, interception on the goal line. They punted and then got another touchdown. They were outstanding for the first half on offense. They did such a good job, and they played excellent complimentary football because the Chiefs offense punted, punted, punted. That was the entire first half. And they did it on the ground. New England did it by controlling the ground game on both sides of the ball. Sony Michelle did such a good job on that very, very first drive. We can say the second drive too, but Patriots' first drive was eight minutes and five seconds long. So that is really setting the tone for the game where they say, Kansas City, you're going to have to stop the run. If you can't do this, we're going to A, run out the clock because we don't want Patrick Mahomes to have the ball. We're going to limit the number of possessions that you have, and we're just going to run it until you can stop it. And the Chiefs couldn't do that. And part of my, my thought is that probably the Patriots should have continued to run it on that second down instead of having Brady throw that interception. But Kansas City couldn't stop the run in the first half. And the Patriots did a really good job of defending the run on first down against the Chiefs or forcing the Chiefs into second and long, third and long, staying ahead of the down. And that meant that the Chiefs had to throw the ball on third down and New England was able to defend it, drop into their zones, cover players as they needed, and most, most importantly, win at the line of scrimmage and generate a lot of pressure. And the Patriots, I mean, that was honestly the best half of football I've seen from that Patriots defense all year. No, it's true. I mean, Trey Flowers had a hell of a game. Van Noy had a hell of a game. I mean, we always talk about in our pregame shows, Rich, like, let's take away your best weapon and force Belichick. I mean, force the, your opponents to beat you with their third, fourth, fifth option. And we were both kind of lamenting, all right, you take away Tyreek Hill. There's their best weapon. But they have Travis Kelsey. And then you take him away. Oh, great. Then there's Sammy Watkins. And then there, there's, 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 there's just so many weapons on that team. And Mahomes can run the ball. And he can throw the ball forever. But what the Patriots were able to do against this Chiefs offense is absolutely remarkable. Tyreek Hill, one catch, 42 yards, granted, but one catch. Travis Kelsey, three for 23, and a touchdown. Sammy Watkins went off because that's what they had to do. And when they switched Stephon Gilmore to Travis Kelsey, it was like they started targeting J.C. Jackson, who had a pretty rough game. But, yeah, I mean, the Patriots basically were three or four money huge plays away from totally shutting down this Chiefs team. And a Chiefs team as explosive as that, they're going to make their big plays. It's kind of how they've made their 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 nut this past season. But you really have to be impressed with what they've done offensively. The, the secondary was solid. The McCourty brothers had had a great game. The linebackers were so busy all over the field. The defensive line did not allow the running game to get going in Kansas City. I think that the Williams had 30 yards on 10 carries, but three yards a carry. Mahomes only got to run twice, 
Um, they really did a great job shutting the run down, made the Chiefs one-dimensional, and other than Sammy Watkins going off, A's all around for me. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just so impressed with the Patriots' defensive game plan because I'm looking at it, and I'm like, there's nothing too complicated here. You know, there, there wasn't as much of the amoeba defense. There wasn't anything unique. They just said, you know what? We're going to win our matchups. And I, I think there was a story from Ty Law about what happened, I want to say, in the 2001 Super Bowl where Ty Law came up and he's like, you know what? We've been playing zone defense all year, but in order to stop the greatest show on turf, we're going to man up. I, I want myself, I'm going to cover Torrey Holt one-on-one. -on -one. And then, you know, what, to Bucky Jones? I don't even know who is on that team. But they were like, uh, well, I'm going to cover Isaac Bruce, and I want to cover Azir Hakim. And so then they were like, you know what? We're going to man it, and we're going to win our one-on-one -on -one matchups. And that's what the Patriots did. They just said, okay, uh, who are their best receivers? We got Tyree Kill. We got Travis Kelsey. And they said, J.C. Jackson, you're going to cover Travis Kelsey in the first half. Jonathan Jones, we're going to use your speed plus Devin McCourty over the top to completely erase Tyreek Hill. His one reception came against Keon Crossan, who was on the field for, uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I honestly don't know why Keon Crossan was on the field at that point in yeah. time. But then they just said, okay, uh, Stephon Gilmore, you do a great job with Sammy Watkins. And it worked. I mean, it was just a very straightforward, we're going to play tight man coverage, nothing easy for the Chiefs. And then they succeeded. And it's just... I don't know what other teams can take away from that because they're just going to beat you by being better. Yeah. I mean, so let's talk about the second half, though, Rich, because basically the Patriots went into the, the halftime having dominated the time of possession, the, 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 the ball, running game, passing game, defensively. They were so dominant in the first half, only up 14 points, which we know against a team like Kansas City, not even close to enough because they can score 14 points on two plays. This is what they do. They only had one drive all game longer than five plays. It was nine plays, only went four minutes. They're just so explosive. And then Kansas City made some adjustments. They had a really hard time running the ball. The Patriots did. They couldn't get separation. They started funneling their receivers to the outside, the edges where they're weaker. And it became much more interesting a game. Very, very boring, very, very quick third quarter. And then the fourth quarter exploded. What did the Kansas City Chiefs do at halftime, Rich, to make this running game less effective? Yeah, so they changed up what they were doing up front. And if you look closely, they used a lot of their defensive tackles in the first half. They had them a little bit wider. And so there was a lot of space up the middle for the running backs to run. And so what they decided to do is say, uh, we're going to bunch all of our defensive tackles up the gut. No more easy yards. If they bounce to the outside, we trust our defensive backs to get out and make those tackles and prevent them from getting around the corner. But we're not going to lose at the line of scrimmage anymore. And so the Chiefs did that. And what the Patriots did to respond a little bit, and this took some time, uh, but they decided to start using the play action a little bit more. They really took advantage of some opportunities down the field, uh, across the middle. And the Chiefs, and we saw this most especially uh, on the final Patriots drive in overtime, but we'll, we're still talking in the second half right here, is that the Chiefs were bunching their linebackers, their players at the line of scrimmage, that there was a lot of room and opportunities for the Patriots receivers at that next level in the middle of the field. And so the Patriots tried to take advantage of that as much as they could. Uh, it wasn't always perfect. There wasn't always uh, a wide open receiver there, but that's how the Patriots tried to respond. And, you know, they, they are the Chiefs are a good enough team. They generate some pressure and they forced Tom Brady off his marks a little bit at times, you know, they didn't really hit him, but they forced him to, to rush some throws and that made the Patriots offense less effective in the second half compared to the first.
It sure was, man, because you just so different, like two different games. The third quarter was only three points scored from New England, seven for the Chiefs. And then we got to the fourth quarter, Rich, where the Chiefs put up 24 points. The Patriots put up 14. Tom Brady had to lead several, not just one fourth quarter game winning drive, several fourth quarter game winning drives or game <laughs> lead changing drives. The lead just kind of kept going back and forth. You just knew we were in a scenario where once again, whoever had the ball last was going to win this game. And that's how it played out. What concerns me, Rich, is that when the Patriots were up, was it 28 to 31, 28? I believe that's what it was, right? That's mm-hmm. they, they went down. Rex Burkhead punched it in, picked the extra point, 31, 28. There's like 39 seconds left. I don't think I've yet to talk to a single person that thought that wasn't enough time for the Chiefs to come down and score. They oh, did. Took them two, two plays. And having that kind of, is it is that a scenario where I'm being a little too nervous and that there's only basically one team in the NFL that can score that quickly and they're no longer in the playoffs? Or is there a cause for concern for a defense where you know what's coming, you know what they have to do, and the Patriots still can't stop plays like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, of of the teams in the NFL that would be able to do it, all four of them were playing on conference championship weekend. So the good teams are able to do it. Chiefs are out. They were the best of the offense. So perhaps the Rams won't be able to do it uh, if given that opportunity, but they're definitely capable of doing it. I, I would say the, the big shocker is just how effortless it seemed for the Chiefs. It just was like, it seemed predetermined that of course they were going to get into field goal range. And the Patriots were getting those penalties that uh, they were giving the Chiefs. I don't know what was up with the, the kickoffs from Goskowski, but I think it was a little bit of the wind knocking it down. But Chiefs had great field position. Again, you got uh, that the pass to a running back. That's been the Patriots' Achilles heel for a long time, and so I'm a little nervous about that against the Rams because both C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley are very good receivers, and New England has to really consider how they're going to do that. And then, I mean, legitimately, that Mahomes pass to Demarcus Robinson over J.C. Jackson, that was just like a really good throw. And I don't think Jared Goff is as good of a quarterback as Patrick Mahomes. I would say that there are a handful of quarterbacks that I would expect to make that throw nine times out of ten. Brady, Breeze, who's no longer there, Mahomes, and then Aaron Rodgers, if they had the the corresponding talent at wide receiver. And so I would say that I would expect Jared Goff not to make those throws. And so I'm, I'm not as concerned, but it's still a possibility. It's just funny because I feel like when the Chiefs went up, they got their, their their first lead in a while, and Brady had, what, like two minutes and two seconds left. Everyone knew, all right, Brady's going to march on the field and score here. This is That's what's going to happen. However, Rich, it almost didn't happen because, to be honest, let's be completely objective about this for a second. If D4 does not line up six inches off sides, which he 100% did, good call. This is a very different conversation this morning. The national narrative, the national kind of landscape and tone and tenor of this game is so different because that offside doesn't happen. Game ceiling interception, not really Brady's fault. Gronk should have caught that, but regardless, game ceiling interception. Tom Brady finishes his day with about 240 some odd yards, a touchdown, and three picks. Instead, he did what he did in the fourth quarter and overtime, and we're having a very different talk. But this game really, very easily could have and probably should have gone to Kansas City because that is basic, fundamental football that a very good player really dropped the ball on. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> literally Gronk dropped the ball on that. Uh, and that's been something that's been an issue all year. And I don't know if it's just 
weird fumble drop interception luck, but th there has to be at least seven or eight interceptions this year that have gone directly off the Patriots receiver's hands and into the arms of the defender. But you're so right. I mean, there are so many lucky bounces that has to go in any team's direction in order to reach the Super Bowl, right? I mean, like the Rams of all teams has to know that they're so lucky to be in the Super Bowl because the officials swallowed their their whistle on a very obvious defensive pass interference call. So the fact that D Ford was offsides, that's kind of his issue and has always been his issue. And we, I mean, going uh, back to 2014, 15 right now, when the Patriots played the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl, they knew that was Michael Bennett's weakness is that he loved to jump the snap as often as possible. And so they used that to their advantage to draw him offsides. D Ford makes some of these mental mistakes as well. He, tries to get an advantage on the pass rush and it came back to bite him on this one and I mean, it was the right call i think that's what is the most important thing is that there was no question that that was the absolute right call and for that i mean yeah the chiefs have to be kicking themselves but you still give a major tip of the cap to tom brady and rob gronkowski who right after that play brady threw what has to be and let me know your thoughts through the best pass of the year, the 25-yard pass to Gronk deep down the field, right in front of Eric Berry, just on third and five, to just get to the goal line. I mean, you can't come back from such a mental error like Gronk having the ball go through his hands and into the Chiefs defender, and then just say, you know what, go out there and your game's back on your shoulders. And he just executed it perfectly. And so I think Patriots did everything right and they earned it so much. That's such a good point, man. This drives me nuts about the, the national media conversation, especially those who are continuing to die on the Tom Brady's not that good hill. We're down to, I think, two or three guys left. They're all dropping like flies now, but there's still <laughs> some out there. Football is a game of inches. It is a game of bounces. And to win, you need talent, health, and luck. Every team who's ever won any championship across any sport has had a combination of those three things. And for some reason, whenever the Patriots win, we don't look about, we don't look at what happened to give the Patriots disadvantages. Like there was a like blatant uh, pick call that, that led to a Chiefs touchdown that the refs didn't call. I think that was a very questionable pass interference on J.C. Jackson the refs didn't call. I'm not complaining about that because, again, that's kind of just the nuance intricacy of this game of football and for some reason people are so focused on the things that go the Patriots way as if they it happens more often than anybody else it definitely doesn't the Patriots get calls they get screwed every team gets calls every team gets screwed that's just kind of part of the narrative of and the savage dance that is football and for some reason people are so focused on whenever a bounce goes the Patriots way as the sole reason that anything good ever happens to them but you're 100% right he still had to march down the field. It was still third and five after that, that offsides call. It's not like that was a total total game. The Patriots still had to drive down the field. They did. They, they had to drive down the field again in overtime, facing three separate third and longs. Tom Brady completed a third and 10, a third and nine, a third and 12, a third and, third and nine, third and 10. So Edelman, Edelman, and Gronk. Here's a crazy stat, Rich. Julius Edelman has been targeted 32 times on third down in the postseason. 30 of them have gone for first downs. Wow. He's 30 of 32 on third down in the postseason. He's now second to only Jerry Rice in the postseason in terms of clutch receptions, catches, you name it. I had this conversation with you off the air before we started the podcast. I'll bring it up now so we can all listen. I think with this game, I wrote my fan notes, I think with this game against the Chiefs, 
Julian Edelman is now very much in the conversation for a Hall of Fame bid. Ooh, okay, okay I want to hear it. All right, what is your argument for? Because I would have to say that I fall on the other side of the register, not saying that he's a bad player by any means. I think based off of his body of work, what we've seen in Super Bowl, uh, you know, I was it 2014 2016 and what we've seen in this playoff run he's average like 100 yards per game as a starter with the patriots in the playoffs so he's great he's phenomenal he's as clutch as anyone i would say he's second to jerry rice in terms of playoff wide receiver production greatness clutchness all of those together so he's phenomenal in the playoffs what's your hall of fame pitch all right, my Hall of Fame pitch is this. There are currently players in the Hall of Fame or who will be going to the Hall of Fame who are in there almost exclusively based on their postseason resume. I think Eli Manning is one of those probably going to the Hall of Fame because he had two consistent good months of football. And there are players <laughs> who have played much worse than Julian Edelman that are in the Hall of Fame because of their postseason resume. That's one thing. Number two, I think a really big factor in a Hall of Fame vote and a Hall of Fame consideration is what this guy did for the game of football. And when you tell the story of a football era, can you tell that story without mentioning this guy? And I don't think you can do that without mentioning Julian Edelman now at this point. Not only in how his, his, his like Julian Edelman's catch against Atlanta, against the Falcons, the, his notice as a punt returner, just the passion he showed. He has, once again, I think, evolved the slot receiver position. I think Wes Welker possibly is a Hall of Famer because when he did the slot receiver position, I think Edelman's taken it to one extra level. Uh, I get he's not the most eye-dropping uh, eye or jaw-dropping numbers guy for stats, and he's not this kind of Terrell Owens, Randy Moss style, but he's just so consistent. He's so dominant. He's the guy you go to in the clutch, and he's just always been there. And I, he may not be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he may not get in, but I think when he retires, when the conversation comes, should he get in, I think he's well, well worthy of a consideration. The real problem I have is the wide receiver position is very, very crowded, and he probably won't get in. But I think he's done enough to, to build a case for himself. Yeah, so so my thought on that too, I mean, you make a, a good point that you talk about telling the story of the football history. You know, if you talk about the 2010s, best team, it's the Patriots, clearly. Best offense, it's the Patriots, obviously. How? What is the story of the Patriots offense in the 2010s? Uh, clearly Tom Brady, we know that he's in the Hall of Fame. Rob Gronkowski, also clearly in the Hall of Fame. Could you have a case that Edelman should be in the Hall of Fame when he's the third guy of what would make this unit great? Uh, would you say that that like he means more to the Patriots than he does to the story of football? And is he kind of more similar to like a Teddy Bruschi when you're looking at the Patriots dynasty that Edelman is undeniably a huge part of in the sense that he's a great player, does everything for the team, but in the scope of the NFL, it's just, it's not there. You know, Bruski was a great guy. He was, a, I believe he was a second team all pro in 2004, or 2007, something like that. But he, he was not a hall of fame. He's like hall of very, very good. And I would argue that Edelman is also in the hall of very good and there's just so many other wide receivers that have better resumes overall over the course of their entire careers that I'm like, there's got to be a lot of work still to be done from Edelman in order to, to reach those marks. Yeah, that is a big problem. Again, he's swimming in a very crowded pool. It's getting harder and harder as receiver to make the Hall of Fame. And his numbers are not, again, like I said, astonishing. And I think that I just... 
you know, I, I think that postseason resume and what you do in the postseason is worth twice or three times what you do in the regular season. And that's always the conversation. And for the longest time, it was funny when people were, were debating Brady versus Manning. It was always like, oh, well, Peyton Manning has the regular season stats, but Brady's got the postseason accolades. And Brady's put that to bed many times over. But mm-hmm. obviously, it's a, it's a very premature conversation because Edelman is still playing. We'll be playing for a long time. He's got one more game ahead of him. Let's talk about the overtime drive, Rich. Let's talk about the overtime drive. I think that everybody also knew whoever won that coin toss was going to win that game because the other other quarterback was not going to touch the ball. Two questions for you, Rich. Uh, did you think the Patriots were going to win as soon as the that, that heads came up and Slater said he wanted the ball? And two, do you think the overtime rules should be changed maybe in the postseason so each quarterback is guaranteed a possession? That's also a big topic of conversation this week. Yeah, so – First off, yes, I thought that the Patriots were going to win. As soon as they got the football, as soon as they won the coin toss, I was like, all right, this one's over. This one's over. I have the same exact feeling in this overtime as I did when the Patriots were playing the Falcons. And, you know, Patriots got that ball. And, of course, they weren't going to give the ball back. Tom Brady was just so good. The Chiefs had not shown that they could stop him at any point with any consistency, any regularity. And the Patriots just did such a good job of executing. I mean, 10 yards to Hogan, then you got 20 to Edelman, 15 to Edelman, 15 to Gronk. Patriots did what they needed to do to get down the field. Burkhead punched it in, O'Down. I mean, this Patriots offense absolutely deserved it, but they were just so good. This Chiefs team, I don't think they allowed 30 points at home for like multiple years, and the Patriots did that. The Patriots had their best game against one of the best home field advantages, so New England absolutely did a great job, and I knew that they would do it when they won the coin toss. Um, when it comes to should they change the overtime rules, defense matters. I don't want to be in a place I, – I, I actually, I like the rules right now where it's like if you settle for a field goal, then yeah, the other team totally deserves a chance. But if your defense cannot stop the other team from scoring – then what's the point of having a defense? If you're like, okay, well, I still want my team to get a chance to, to score, then no one, like, what's the point of having a defense? I, I like that defense matters. I like that defense can and will and should play an important factor in whether or not a team wins in overtime. So I don't think that they should change. I think that, yeah, sure, the Patriots have benefit from winning three overtime games in the playoffs, but the Patriots execute well. The other team's defense doesn't. And it's it's not the fault of the Patriots. It's not the fault of the rules. It's the fault of how those teams built their rosters. And I don't think that you should change the rules in order to benefit the just purely benefit the sake of teams investing in offense. I just don't think that's how it should happen. No, I agree. I think there's a lot of people that think, and I, I guarantee you, this conversation is not happening if Mahomes gets the ball and drives down the field. But Brady's three and zero. In overtime games, in all three games, his opposing quarterback never had a chance to put one in the end zone himself. People were talking about that. But, yeah, I mean, if you don't like it, stop it. Great call, making it a touchdown, game over, field goal, chance to win it. Otherwise, you get the ball at, like, the 25, you march, like, 30, 40 yards, you kick a long field goal. I think that's pretty pretty cheesy. But I like the rules as they are right now. Both games went to overtime. Drew Brees threw a pick, and the Rams kicked, what, 57-yarder? Yeah. That's remarkable. That That's great defense and great special teams. Setting that team in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I'm with you on that, man. I, I think that the, the Rams deserved it because they got a turnover. The Patriots deserve it because they methodically drove down the field, despite the fact that, again, on three separate occasions, it was long, third and long, and Brady implemented. I think all three of those plays were – there's talking about how 
they were eight or nine plays that McDaniels instilled in the playbook in the lobby of the hotel during the walkthrough <laughs> on Friday, which is insane to think about. And the Patriots ran about three or four of them. One was that slant to Gronk on third and ten for, for ten yards. They hadn't run that all season. The slant to Edelman I see all the time. What blew my mind, Rich, was the fact that Kansas City couldn't adjust and decided not to double cover Edelman, even though Tony Romo was up there in the booth saying, here's going to happen. There's Edelman in motion. Look from up the seam, and that's exactly what happened. Why didn't Casey double Edelman, Rich? I'm not complaining because <laughs> like, why didn't they adjust and, and double that guy? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, if Kansas City Chiefs defensive coordinator Bob Sutton just had the CBS broadcast on in his booth and just listened to Tony <laughs> Romo and called those ch- calls down to the field for the fourth quarter, in overtime the Patriots wouldn't have scored on their final three drives but Romo was had the answer key somehow and he was just saying this is exactly what the Patriots are going to do and the Chiefs couldn't make any adjustments and it seemed like Kansas City didn't make any adjustments other than against the run Uh, they didn't make any real consistent defensive adjustments I should say and so what the Patriots like to do the entire game was get rid of the ball as quickly as possible so the pass rush doesn't get home and they manufactured a lot of room for these receivers to get open in the middle of the field. And so what the Patriots did in overtime was nothing new. We, we saw Edelman say, okay, I'm just going to do these drag routes or crossers in the middle of the field because we're going to use these pick plays and I'm going to be wide open on third down at the sticks. And we all know that's going to happen. So this boggles my mind that the Chiefs didn't recognize it and just stick a linebacker in the middle of the field. Tom Brady's not scrambling. Patriots aren't going to run the ball on third and 10. So just stick someone where Edelman caught the ball literally every single time. Those ones, I'm just so confused or just sad for the Chiefs that they they didn't know how to stop that. Versus that 15-yard pass to Gronk, huge tip of the cap to Josh McDaniels, who is having another stellar postseason run. Just such a great job calling plays. I mean, I feel like the Packers have to be like, oh, what could have been? (laughs) Josh McDaniels (laughs) saved his best games for the playoffs, and I'm just so happy that we get to see it. No, totally, man. I mean, this was just a, you know, Tom Brady did not have a great game as as far as numbers goes. He made a lot of great audibles, making sure the defense was in the wrong place and running the ball down their throat when he had to, great adjustments. But when he needed to step up and beat Tom Brady, he was over and over and over again. He's now gone to his ninth Super Bowl in 17 seasons as a starter. That is over 50%, if my math is correct. Yep. The I think what well, the next the next most is is five, four or five. He's just he's just lapping the field at this point. It's remarkable. And as Patriots fans, it's so easy to get sucked into the the media narrative of trying to bring them down or make this more interesting than it needs to be because people are so sick of the Patriots being in there. But I implore all of you, we have two more weeks of this. I I said it last year. I said it in 2014. I said it in 2016. But this time I mean it, Rich. We might not get back to the Super Bowl after this one. So (laughs) try to enjoy it. It should be a lot of fun. Patriots-Rams. It's kind of crazy that they're playing the Eagles last year and the Rams this year. It means probably play the Panthers next year and the Seahawks and the Falcons after that. Hopefully a different result than last year, but it's kind of cool that Brady has kind of come full circle playing the Rams where it all kind of kicked off in a couple of weeks with a head coach who's now younger than he is. Pretty crazy, crazy story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the Super Bowl is actually on the 17th anniversary of that Patriots-Rams Super Bowl <laughs> and wow. so to the date. So that's absolutely incredible. So, yeah, I mean, we've been watching this incredible, incredible ride. And I, I have one last question for you, Alec. We're looking at the Patriots-Chiefs game still. Uh, 
Patriots win overtime 37-31. So many players stood out. So many players helped the Patriots get to the Super Bowl. Their third straight, fourth in five years. It's just ridiculous. Of the players who stood out against the Chiefs, if you had to give the game ball to one of them, who would it be and why? Uh, can, I, can I do one offense and one defense? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I'm going to turn again. This is, we, we've talked about Edelman. We've talked about Brady. We've talked about Gronk. Uh, I'm going to give it to Chris Hogan offensively because there's a third and eight where Brady threw it way ahead of Chris Hogan, and he hauled in with one hand, held onto it, caught it, new set of downs. Patriots probably punt if that catch is not made. Um, possibly a very different conversation today. That was he nasty. also made a pretty pretty clutch catch in overtime as well, and he was around a, a, a good good receiver for the Patriots. That that one catch, that's one of those catches that's probably going to be forgotten as as the years go by and kind of more and more plays start to pile up. But five catches for 45 yards, not a huge day for Chris Hogan, but that one catch on third and eight changed the complexity of the game completely. So he's my my offensive guy. Um, on defense, I got to go with Trey Flowers, man. Just what he's done as a pass rusher this postseason, including last postseason, he's going to get so much money. I hope the Patriots pay him this offseason because I would hate to see him leave that sack on uh, third and whatever it was to get out the Chiefs out of field goal range. It was, it was a 10-point swing because the pass went on and, and scored on that on that following possession after that punt. That doesn't happen again. Another different story. Very different story this game as well. So those two plays are probably throwaway plays in the grand scheme of things, but totally changed the game. And that those are my guys. Oh, I love that. And I think I've said all year, Chris Hogan. I mean, five catches for forty-five. If he could do that every single game, that would be exactly what the Patriots needed from him. He wasn't able to do that all year. He definitely rose to the occasion, delivered on the biggest stage in the AFC in the conference championship game, and. By no stretch, I mean, was it two years ago when he absolutely wrecked the Steelers? Or maybe that was last year. He he just, what, or, yeah, two years ago, he wrecked the Steelers. And that was the production I was hoping for. But 5 for 45, if he can do that, that is a very solid number th three receiver in the offense. That's a very fine production. That's a good day. And so, yeah, absolutely. Great pick with him. Love Trey Flowers. Thinks he did a great job. Uh, my play game balls on offense would go to Sony Michelle. 29 carries, 113 yards, two touchdowns. He has over 250 yards from scrimmage and five touchdowns in these two playoff games. For anyone who is questioning why the Patriots used a first-round pick on him, uh, he's absolutely exceeding expectations. Not saying that players or people should draft running backs in the first round at any given point in time, but based off of what he's being paid, he is so good. He is so reliable. It's been so much fun to see the Patriots have such a dynamic talent running the ball in the backfield. It's been so long since they had Deion Lewis, am I right? Uh, so it's just like, it's nice to have Sony Michelle back there. And on the other side of the ball, I, I mean, player of the game for me was Kyle Van Noy. Player of the game, offense, defense, doesn't matter. Van Noy led the Patriots with 10 tackles. No player, other player had more than three. He had two wow. sacks on the day. Like both of them ended the Chiefs' drive at the very beginning, tacked on a quarterback hit, tackled for loss, a forced fumble. I mean, Van Noy was an absolute menace. And he has come a one week after Hightower had his best game of the year against the Chargers. New England's linebackers are coming on hot exactly when they need to. I'm excited to see if both of them will be able to do that in the Super Bowl. So I absolutely love what Van Noy was able to do for New England. 
That's awesome. No, I, I, Brandon is just one of those classic Patriots players, a cast-off, the Mike Vrabels of the world, the Rob Ninkovichs of the world. Not that great on his other team. Comes to the Patriots and is a real, real mainstay. So it's always good to see him get his love. Unfortunately, Rich, we're now entering into a pretty awful time in the NFL calendar. Those two weeks between championship weekend and Super Bowl weekend, when all the crappy storylines come out, the crappy narratives come out. So it's going to be up to you and me, buddy, to keep it real on Patriot on Pat's pulpit and only talk about stuff that matters. Should be a really good game. Pat's Rams, part two. Tom Brady in his ninth Super Bowl. What is happening Cannot wait to break it all down with you. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, really excited to talk about how the Patriots are warming the Rams' Gatorade. Uh, I think that would just be a really beautiful thing to discuss. Uh, but, yeah, we'll have more for that for everyone. and uh, we'll, we'll be coming back with our podcast next week. We'll take this Thursday off, as Alex said. So, until next time, Alec, you have a good one, man. You too, buddy. Later. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.